Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical, actually, every musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 17. Our special guests are Donna Marie Asbury and Cleve Asbury. Welcome to Broadway's Backbone. We have Cleve and Donna Marie Asbury. How are you guys? <laughs> We're so good. Woo-hoo, awesome. All right. So I'm going to start out uh, by reading your credits. I'm going to ladies first. Uh, so Donna, we have Gypsy, Merrily We Roll Along, Smile, Jerome Robbins Broadway, Chicago The Tour, and Chicago Broadway Currently. Is Abs- that correct? Absolutely. Did I miss anything that... You did not, no. Excellent. You got it all. All right, Cleve, we have uh, The West Side Story. Uh, the West Side Story. The West, the West Side Story. <laughs> uh, Bring Back Birdie, Copperfield, Harrigan and Hart, Me and My Girl, Joan Robbins Broadway, Annie Get Your Gun, Cheetah Rivera, The Dancer's Life, and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Yes. Uh, you missed my very first Broadway show, which was Peter Pan, starring Sandy Duncan. Oh, really? That's what brought me to the city. Oh, that's fantastic. Yes. Well, great. Well, uh, I want to talk a little bit about and find out how you guys got started. So, uh, Donna Marie, how do you... How'd you get started? You know, it was just by luck, and my, you know, my parents had known a manager in New York City, and they knew that I loved to dance, and I was very loud Italian little girl, and I could <laughs> sing, and literally this this woman Loretta Marshall was her name. She was a manager, and she agreed to take me on. And the first audition I had was for the Angela Lansbury revival of Gypsy. And I ended up getting it. And I was the balloon girl, and I understudied Baby June and Baby Louise, and then I was actually able to take over Baby Louise. I literally got my equity card at age 11. I don't even think I knew what an equity card represented. Oh my God, this is great. And I remember that my mother, like she showed me my first paycheck, and my reaction was, I get paid for this? Because literally, it was, when you hear things like, oh, we're such a family, but it really was. Like, there were seven kids in the show. We all got along. The moms got along. Angela could not have been just more generous, more professional, Aww. just sweetest, unbelievable lady. I have the utmost respect for her, and I truly believe that if that experience hadn't been what it was, I'm not sure I would still be doing this today. Really? Seriously, yeah. It was just so much fun, and I thought, oh my God, I can have this much fun forever. Like, Absolutely. who wouldn't want to do this? Absolutely. Yeah, it was great. It was great. Oh, well, so was your mom a stage mom? She was not. Um, I think she was a frustrated performer, but she always said to me, if you ever want to quit, you just tell me. I'm not sure how much she really meant it, but she did always <laughs> give me that option. And she was very good about, I would never went to a professional school. I went to normal school and uh, a normal high school. I didn't go to college because I just knew what I wanted to do. And literally got Merrily We Roll Along when I graduated high school, which was the oh. second Broadway show. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that in a okay, second. Okay, you got it. Great. So, uh, Cleve, where are you from, and how did you get your start? I am from Houston, Texas, and I grew up in a family of dancers. My parents uh, owned the Asbury School of Dancing for 35 years, and so uh, I have two older sisters, and all three of us grew up in this atmosphere, and both of them became professional dancers as well. My eldest sister uh, became one of the Ernie Flat dancers on the Carol Burnett show oh, for years wow. and years. Yes. Uh, my other sister Claudia came here to New York. She did a lot of Broadway shows. Became a choreographer. She choreographed world companies of uh, sophisticated ladies. So you know, it was the family business. And uh, I, at the time, was going to school out in California, and uh, they held auditions for what was at the time going to be just a summer stock tour of Peter Pan with Sandy Duncan. And we put it together down in Dallas, the Dallas Summer Musicals. And as soon as they mounted it, the producers went, huh, this is pretty good. And they canceled the entire tour and brought the show straight into New York. So now suddenly out of nowhere, I'm 19 years old and I'm on Broadway. Oh, wow. Unexpectedly. It was not part of the plan. I was going to go back to school. So we get to New York and literally within uh, a couple, we previewed for a while because they were, they were making a lot of changes. And uh, so during the preview period, that's when they were holding auditions for the Broadway revival of West Side Story. 
And yes, Jerry Robbins and Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim, they were all coming back and they were gonna be involved in this. And it was like opportunity of a lifetime to work with these icons. So I went in, auditioned, and I got the thing. So literally two weeks after we opened with Peter Pan, I left Peter Pan to start rehearsals for Wesley Stoke. So be before both of you were 20, you were in two Broadway shows. Yes. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. Well, yeah. incredibly lucky and blessed. Yes. So uh, now we're both we're on Sondheim for West Side Story and uh, for Merrily Rodolo. Merrily, uh, yes. Nice segue. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but how was that, I mean, to work with both of these legends when you're 19, 20 years old? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, I have memories of Stephen. You know, everybody that knows anything about Merrily knows that we went through a lot of rewrites a lot of changes and I can remember being in the lobby of the theater and hearing Stephen on the piano downstairs rewriting things and like literally we would rehearse during the day and put it in at night and or sometimes rehearse during the day and not put it in at night which was <laughs> really confusing and horrible. Um, he was lovely, um, very serious, he's just very mm -hmm. serious but um, but lovely and, and very open. And, you know, then on the other side, you have Harold Prince, who treated us all like we were his children. And Daisy, his child, was actually in the show. Oh. Yeah, Daisy Prince. She was 16 years old at the time. I think she was one of the youngest members of the show. I think the age range was like 16 to 31 or maybe 27. I'm not sure. But um, he couldn't have been more protective and, and more lovely to us and uh, really, really blamed himself I think for the reason why the show didn't work really and yeah do you have personal feelings why it didn't because a lot of people this is a darling show because it's a darling score and people seem to love it but it also just didn't seem to work yeah I think it was one of Stephen's best scores which is why the show will not die I think it just has a, a problematic book and it will always have a problematic book and I think telling the story backwards is an interesting mm. theory and an interesting way to do it but it doesn't without, you know, we had all of these amazing wigs and costumes that nobody ever saw. Hal cut them before the first preview, which is why we ended up in t-shirts and sweatshirts that said uh -huh. our characters' names. Um, and I don't think that helped us, in, you know, oh, at all. Right. Because you don't really, you can't really imagine, oh, this person's 20 years older, and then, you know, and second act, we look exactly the same. So, um, but he just kept saying when we were dressed up, he lost our youth. He lost, he, he lost the reason why he hired us, you know. Um, I'm not sure, you know, I've seen a couple of productions since ours, and I don't know, um, like they've replaced Rich and Happy with that Frank, and I don't think that Frank is any better than Rich and Happy. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know why that, that switch was made. Um, but the show will always be near and dear to my heart. Oh, absolutely. Always, and uh, was one of the most heartbreaking experiences I think I've ever had in in this business oh yeah yeah and you're already brokenhearted and you still have a long career to go so but seriously your, your heart will definitely mend it has to yeah uh, so with yeah. West Side Story I mean how challenging is that choreography that original choreography and learning it from Jerome yeah well I mean anybody who's ever done it uh, understands how hard it is um, because you know he just the technical demands were just so very high and doing it, of course, in his presence, you, everyone was just at 10 all the time. Um, and, you know, I was still getting my feet wet in the business, but I could see all those that are much more experienced around me and how they were reacting to him because, you know, he would walk in and all silence would come across the room. And, uh, it, it was, the silence was deafening. Uh -huh. um, but, uh, you know, you pulled up to it. You pulled up to it. And really the problem <laughs> I wish that I could say that Jerry Robbins was as lovely and nice <laughs> as Hal Prince was. He was incredibly demanding. Uh, but, you know, everyone pulled up to that. The best compliment that you ever got from him was not hearing anything from him. <laughs> really. Yes. Because primarily he would spend most of his time criticizing those that, that weren't right, you know. And, and though anybody that's worked with him had their own individual stories about absolutely the horror stories that Jerry Robbins yes did um, you know and we had our share of those too he would he would have no qualms about destroying someone entire in, in the room in front of the entire company 
uh, you know. So you all had to you had to bear that. But having said that, um, West Side Story is one of the most, if not the most, thrilling thing to do. Wow. The music is off the chart. And working with Leonard Bernstein, having him walk in, oh. that was so thrilling. He was a joy and a light and a power, a force to walk in the room. All the musicians that we started it down in Miami, and uh, so all the Miami musicians were like, oh my God, it's Leonard Bernstein. <laughs> And uh, so uh, it was just a really, really exciting time. And uh, and this was Debbie Allen as Anita. This was with Debbie Allen, who was the uh, yes the 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 she she was the Miss Thing of the cast. You know, <laughs> yes. everybody loved her. You know, and uh, she was terrific in the show. And 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 Jerry seemed to really love her too. So, yeah, we all had a great time with her. And, and I have a side story. That oh, I yes. was 16 years old, and I was taken on a date to see West Side Story. And I was... You were dating at 16? Wow. Yeah, we had a, you know, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a Jersey girl. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he took me to go see West Side Story, and I had no idea I was watching my future husband on that stage. And the funny thing is, is that I was waiting by the stage door for Hector Mercado's um, oh, autograph yes. because I'm usually attracted to very tall, dark, mean-looking men. <laughs> and then I have often said, "Howdy Doody" comes into my life and sweeps me off my feet. But Aww. I literally still have the program with with Cleve in it. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Well, not to change the subject to a, a bad note, but dealing with flops, we talked a little yeah. bit about Merrily We Roll Along. Yeah. After Westside, you had a string of flops. Which I uh, did. which include uh, <laughs> Bring Back Birdie, yes. Carpet Field, Harrigan and Hart, yes. and then you also um, Donna Marie had Smile. Smile. Yes. So I mean, how is that? Because I I know for me personally, I'm I'm more proud of some of my flops because of what I learned uh, as a person. But yeah. there's they're really difficult. I mean, yes, you it's know, like a death. I it mean, is it like really is. And some of the deaths you can see coming, so you can kind of prepare for them, and some of them um, some of them blindside you. Like the Bring Back Birdie, for instance. I gotta tell you the Bring Back Birdie story. Yes. Okay. So the famous Bring Back Birdie story. Bring Back Birdie was the sequel to Bye Bye Birdie, and uh, Michael Stewart had written the book, and and uh, Strauss, and um, uh, I forget the lyricist. Um, he uh, the, the entire the same team that had come together uh, to to write it, and uh, you know on you paper. Had uh, we had Cheetah Rivera, we had Donald O'Connor, Strauss and Adams does it. And uh, so they all came together and on paper it looked really, really charming. But somehow during the production and during rehearsals it became this colossal flop. And uh, in the script it called for a rock band called Filth. And I had been hired not just because I danced but also because I play the drums. So they put me into this rock band. And during uh, rehearsals they had videotaped close-ups of our mouths sticking our tongues out into the camera. And uh, they had costumed us with these paper tearaway costumes so that every night we got a new set of costumes. And we had rehearsed this uh, with me pushing out, the number started with me pushing out a toilet that had been outfitted <laughs> with wheels. And I pushed this toilet out down front center and I made an, a, a, a motion as if I was flushing the toilet, and there was a big sound effect of the toilet flushing. Then I would push this toilet around behind the drum set, sit down on the toilet to play the drums. Now, while this was happening, uh, televisions were coming in on tracks from the wings and down from the flies, and the rest of the band was coming on. And then we would launch into this number, and we were as loud and as garish, as awful as, good as it could be, and the televisions are showing our tongues, sticking our tongues out of the oh audience. And we're ripping off these costumes and we're going after this. And this finishes the first act. We da 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 finish. And there was dead silence from the audience. <laughs> and then the curtain slowly starts to come in to end the first act. And as the curtain is coming in, you begin to hear it. Boo! Oh no! Boo! <laughs> yeah, boo on a Broadway stage. It was the only time ever in my entire life that I have ever witnessed, let alone been part of, open booing in a theater. It was and terrifying. And how many performances did you do? And horrifying. Oh my all gosh! It was. And we closed in three days. In three wow. days. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah, that beats any of my stories. It does. Yeah. Well, well, Smile, I mean, I people talk about Smile in the story, and people really like it when it talks about it. You know, I... I really believe Smile was a better show than we ever got credit for, and I and I also believe it was a better show when we went out of town in Baltimore. Mm. I think sometimes um, the powers that be can be too close to the material, and uh, again, it was one of those things where they were afraid that the pageant girls looked older, and I just really wanted to say, have you ever watched a pageant? Because these 19-year-olds look like they're 30 yes. because of the hair and the makeup. And, you know, and I don't, I think they couldn't decide whether to be satirical or sincere. Mm. And when we opened in Baltimore, we got pretty good reviews, but I think they got very scared when we, when we opened on Broadway. So then a lot of changes were made. And again, I don't think it was changes for the better. It breaks my heart that we never made a recording of Marvin's score um there's definitely different uh, recordings of like certain songs but never went into the studio and and recorded it um that's surprising i know i know because it's him yeah it was really really hard and you know i had done the workshop i had traveled with marvin and had been one of his singers for symphony concerts trying to raise money because after we had done the workshop i think the schubert's pulled out and here Marvin had like the best show a chorus line running in a Schubert house with the Schubert's producing and I think he was really really hurt that they didn't have the confidence in him that this was going to be okay so then we had to like scramble and and you know raise money for the show and they did and it just I don't know word of mouth I'm shocked that Encores hasn't done it. Or uh, you know, every time I see Barry Weisler, because Barry Weisler, who is uh, the producer of Chicago, um, he was one of the starting producers of Smile, and then I left, so he never got to produce it. But every time he sees me, he's like, "I'm gonna do Smile again. I'm gonna do Smile again," and I'm like, hmm. "Okay." So I think it's probably gonna be done. I'm not sure he will do it, but it really is. It's like it's this little gem, and it needs to be done absolutely. again. Absolutely, it needs to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. So after uh, Copperfield and Harrigan and Hart, two more flops, you had a hit with me and my girl. Finally, we had a hit. <laughs> Thank God. And, I mean, that's another yes. show. I mean, I love me and my girl. Yes, I loved it. And it starred Robert Lindsay, who I just, I kept saying, oh, when I grow up, I want to be like <laughs> him. Because he was such a professional and such a consummate actor. But at the same time, he lived to make you laugh on stage. Oh. It was it was the breath he breathed, and and uh, I just loved working with him. And the show was so much fun, and, and the audiences really seemed to love it. And it was the, my first time to perform on the Tony Awards, so and well, how uh, was that experience? Uh, what number did you guys do? Lambeth Walk. Lambeth Walk. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, it was fun. You know, we walked out of the audience, and we're all around, and yeah, no, it was great. Oh, absolutely. And Mike Ockren directed that. Mike Ockren did direct that, who was uh, a lovely man. Um, I, I don't have anything bad or particularly crazy stories to say about him. He was a lovely man. He knew what he wanted. The show was already ahead over in London. Oh, okay. So it was sort of ready to go, and he was just putting together the Broadway company of it. And how long did you stay with that show? Stayed with that for uh, a year on Broadway, and then I went on the road for about eight months with it. Was that Tim Curry who did it on the road? Tim Curry on the road. <laughs> oh, how great. Yes, loved him. So uh, there's a one credit that you both seem to have together, and that's Jerome Robbins' Broadway. Where we met. That's how so we met. So it is. I, just got, I wasn't sure of that, but I just assumed it. Well, so first, how'd you meet? And then we'll talk about Jerome Robbins. Okay. Well, I was an original member of the company, and Cleve replaced uh, Robert LaFosse, mm-hmm. who had left. And... Um, like I said, I've, I'd always been attracted to like dark, handsome men, and this redhead comes in who happens to be a dancer, and I was like, oh, he's got to be gay. <laughs> and so then, you know, I just didn't even think anything of it. And all, he was just very sweet and funny. And I remember there was there was one moment we had in the Fiddler segment when Firmaseric comes out, and he would whisper things in my ear to, to make me laugh. And I mean, that's the way to, I think, any girl's heart is just to make me laugh, and it's fine. And I, I remember going home and, and saying to my mother, I think this this man at work likes me, but I don't know if I can date a redhead. And she was like, Donna Marie! <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but he was great and you know do you remember the little card you left me with the with the the thing about the horoscopes and how compatible yes. I am a Scorpio and he is a Capricorn, Capricorn yes. and he left me this card at the theater and we hadn't even dated we hadn't kissed nothing but just like flirting outrageously and uh, just about how com compatible our two signs were and I was like oh this could be I didn't know I was gonna marry him but I thought this could be very different it was it, it felt like a very adult relationship yeah. yeah absolutely i was working on you <laughs> yes well from my side i you know i came into the company and i already had a lot of friends in the company so i you know and there was constant turnover with that company oh we were my God. always rehearsing something so and why a uh, constant turnover injuries people injuries, injuries. yes injuries. absolutely yeah. it was a very very hard show i did not have a dancer track in the show i understudied debbie shapiro who is now debbie gravitt um, so I was not killing my body on a you know daily basis. It was really about singing monotony and mm -hmm. doing the on the town stuff and sitting in a chair while Charlotte Denbois kicked her head during America. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of turnaround, and I think also too you know once we had done the Tony Awards and people just left and went back to the ballet world or or whatever. And but but mm -hmm. Cleve got the job. And I just remember one particular rehearsal where she was on the stage and I was out in the audience sitting with some other friends. And I'd noticed her and I was like, oh, wow, I like the looks of this one. <laughs> and I, and I, I, I must have said it out loud. One of the guys on the outside of it go, oh, yeah, that's Donna Marie Elliot. We love her. She's great. You could, you could go ahead and approach her if you wanted to. Very nice. So I had gotten the green light from friends. Well, that's a good thing. So, uh, so with Jerome Robbins, did they was it just all of his most difficult numbers or his hardest numbers, his best numbers? I mean, how was it preparing that show and then just doing that show? Well, you did the well, rehearsal it process. Well, it was an unheard uh, rehearsal process of six months. We had rehearsed the show for six months. I think Equity had drawn up like new addendums to the contract for Jerome Robbins Broadway. Um, and Literally. there was a cast of like, I don't know, it was like 72 people or 57 oh people. I mean, it was unbelievable. And how many swings? We had like a... Oh, it was like eight swings or maybe even a dozen. I think it was like a dozen swings. Can you imagine? Yeah. No. <clears throat> and I mean, it was it was definitely as hard as stuff, West Side, but there was also Fiddler and there was Forum. You know, Forum isn't difficult, but it's funny. Yes. And uh, there was the stripper number from Gypsy. And, uh, you know, it was just, it's a... And it was very funny because he would take on the personality of whatever piece he was working on. You know, if, like we had heard that Fiddler was not a great time for him in his life because of Zero Mustel. Oh. And he was just, he'd come in and just be mean, you know, and just, I don't like that, I don't like that. And I was never, you know, the, um, the cause of the wrath, but you would watch it and just be like, oh God, I just want to leave right now. And <laughs> um, very happy for Forum and, and uh, loved doing West Side, but very serious. And like literally during the rehearsal process, we would have Stephen Sondheim come in and uh, Arthur Lawrence, who I'd worked with in Gypsy. And it was amazing to have, like to see these people now being an adult, you know, and, um, but it was a great experience. Um, I don't think we knew it was going to be the hit that it was, and I think it would have run longer. But it was just really incredibly expensive to run. Not, oh. You know, not only to pay the actors, but they had to pay the rights for all of this all material. The oh. All those. All this material. Creative. Yes. So then we literally we closed the show on Broadway, and we had gone out on the road together um, because we were dating and. We were going to sit down like for how many months in five months, five in, months LA. in LA. Oh, very nice. Yeah. So and that's yes. So we did that. We got out to LA. I took her to Disneyland and I asked her to marry me at the Wishing Well. Oh. So then we had the <laughs> five month run to plan the wedding and have the wedding, and we literally had the wedding like on the last day of the run in Los Angeles, because the next stop after LA was Japan, and there was a week off while they shipped all the sets over to Japan. So we took that week as our honeymoon. It was brilliant. It, it was, was kind of really miraculous that it worked out. So married, <laughs> took the honeymoon, and then just met the company over in Japan after that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And then how long were you in Japan? Three months. Yeah. Long Three time. months. Long time. Long time. Long time, especially after being in paradise like Kauai, you know? Oh. Then you hit ter uh, downtown Tokyo and everybody's smoking and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> but I loved it and the people there were amazing. We were rock stars. We were little, oh, literally yeah, rock stars. Absolutely. 
So what came after Jerome Robbins for the two of you? Then we moved to California. Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to try our luck, and we had all this money that we had saved up, and we bought a townhouse in Van Nuys, California. And both thought, well, you know, we'll do TV now. Well, the problem is, is when you have a, a resume of theater credits, and you go audition for TV, the first thing they say is, do you, do you have film? You know, do you have yourself on film? And we're like, no, you have to hire me so I can get on film. Absolutely. And I did a bunch of regional f- stuff. Like, I did every Cheetah Rivera role there was to do, like Sweet Charity and Anita and West Side Story. And, um, but then... I joined a local dance, a local dance, a local uh, uh, acting theater uh, company and did several productions there, uh, you know, trying to get industry uh, to come in and see me. Yeah. But then we both end up Booking the L.A. company of Beauty yeah, and the Beast. auditioning for oh. Beauty and the Beast. And so we both got into Beauty and the Beast, Los Angeles, and ended up sitting there for, how long was that run? It was two years. Two years. But I also got pregnant during the run. So oh, I saw that production opening night. Really? I, I was living there then. Yes. Yes. So they had brought all the Broadway originals, yes. Susan Egan and Gary Beach and all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, we just sort of looked at each other and went, okay, well, if this is a hit, if we're going to run, we should probably try for a baby. If we're going to do it. Yeah. We'd already been married like four or five years, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, we got pregnant right away, and I, I was able, again, I had a singer's track, and they literally just kept putting elastic in my skirts, and I was able to stay with the show till I was like seven months pregnant. Wow. And it was as if Jacqueline, our daughter, knew, like, in my tummy not to come out till after seven months because before then <laughs> I just really looked like I would eaten like too much fettuccine Alfredo you know I just kept looking heavy and then I left the show and all of a sudden I was pregnant like this this ball appeared in my tummy um, so mm-hmm. it was really great it was really great had the baby went back to work and then the show mm-hmm. closed literally a, a couple of months after I went back to work which I was really happy because I was having a really hard time leaving my oh, daughter okay. yeah it was really hard well how is it just being a uh, married showbiz couple and dealing with the insecurities of uh of jobs and and raising a kid i mean it's just hard when there's one person in show business let alone two and yeah. and the, sh- the schedule with raising kids how have you dealt with that and a- after beauty of the beast closed that became a, a rough time for us and you know uh, then finally the opportunity for chicago came up yeah and uh we actually originally we both auditioned for the show and she got it and I didn't, uh, but and it was a t- it was for the tour. It was for the first national of, to- of right. Chicago, and they had amazing sit down cities. Like I joined the tour in Boston, and we were in Boston for twelve weeks. Then we were going to mm-hmm. go to Toronto for twelve weeks, and all of these sort of sit down what a tour used to be, right. uh, amazing things, and where you could make some money. And Cleve was so. so sweet and said, you know, well, we're going with you for a while, and so. Yeah. We just had a little girl. She was a year and a half old. So we were, yeah. we're you know, we were going to stay together. It was time to stay together. So I put my career on hold, and basically we stuck together while uh, out on the road with Chicago. Yeah. So you were a show, was it a tour husband? I was a tour, husband, a tour for husband for a while. For a bit. And that went for several months, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I got a call to join the national tour of Miss Saigon. And so my parents came up and we kind of played past the baby for a while. Uh, Jack spent time with you and yeah. then mom and dad picked her up and they literally we drove her. her to me. Uh, I was in San Francisco with Miss Saigon and then uh, so that I would have time with her. Uh, and so I was actually going to leave. I put in my notice for Chicago. Really? And then the casting director had called me up and said, uh, because then it was going to turn into like one weekers, and I thought, you know, to travel with Jacqueline for one week in a place is not great. And he had a job, and I was like, I'll be tour wife. Yeah. So I called Howie Cherpikoff, who was the casting director at the time, and he said, you know, somebody just put in their notice in the LA company, and that show is going to San Francisco. Would you consider coming to this company? It's a different track, it's Mona, but let me talk to Walter. Walter turns around and said, oh my God, yes. And I end up going there. And the funny thing is, in both national tours, I took over the role of Velma in both tours. I would start as the ensemble and then take over as Velma. So then we go to San Francisco and I'm Velma. And then they offer me the Broadway company and he has to put in his notice for Miss Saigon because we're like, well, we should go back where they obviously like us now. Absolutely. And we can work, you know. In musical theater. Yeah. 
Peter Lawrence was oh, yes. was uh, uh, managing that company, and he, you know, he called me to bring me in, and I had to call Peter back and tell, I got to leave your company now because we have a chance to move to New York, and he was very sweet about it, but he was like, Oh, Cleve, you're killing me, because I had only been in Miss Saigon for I don't know a month, yeah. maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of months. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, I left, and that's when we moved back here to the East Coast. So how long were you gone? Mm. Oh, two years, wasn't yeah. it? It was, a, it was almost two years. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting when people are like, oh, I can't leave New York, can't leave New York. New York and Broadway's going to be here when, you come, when people come back. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And so, yeah, with that, we came back, and she went into the Broadway company, and within a couple of months, that's when the audition came up for our production of Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, excellent. Well, we're going to take a short break for Annie to get your gun and ask a, a big question about uh, Chicago. When I first started this podcast, two, maybe three people were like, well, you have to interview uh, Donna Marie Asbury. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, like, this is about the Broadway's backbone of Broadway ensembles. But yes. many people say you're a backbone of Chicago on Broadway, period. I love that. I love um, that. And... Um, so, I mean, just first question, how long have you now been in the Broadway company? I've been in the Broadway company since March of 1999. Wow. I mean, that's amazing, because I have to say, and this is the honest truth, every time someone says they see the show, they are in awe of you. Oh, my they God. They always say, Donna Marie Asbury oh looks amazing. She looks, she's more full out than some of the new kids. I mean, they're always, I mean, it's it's shock, but not a shock at you, that the shock that you're still doing it, and you're still giving 150% after that how do you do that you know it's crazy I, I will often joke and say I think I'm mentally challenged because <laughs> I come to my work I come to this job and I'm so happy to be doing it you know we've all done jobs in our career where you're like oh god I have to go to the show and whatever and it's a paycheck I've never felt that way about Chicago if you had asked me you know 10 years ago if I would still be here I would be absolutely not but the thing is you know you're in this business and there's not a lot of security and there's not a lot of jobs where you can be very proud of what you're doing. Um, you know, Chicago, when it opened in 76, was way before its time. Mm -hmm. It's so relevant right now. And um, I mean, I really, really, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to do what I love to do and to be able to make a living doing it. Um, you know, I've understudied Velma. I've, paid, I've played Velma. Um, I am now an understudy for Matron Mama Morton, and I, I enjoy doing that. I, I've often joked saying that if I stay with it long enough, I'll be understudying Amos, you know. <laughs> um, I can do it. Um, but, you know, as far as keeping it new and fresh, again, I'm going to go back to Angela Lansbury, and who was my very first and best teacher, and the kids would watch her every night and that is one hell of a role yes. to do every night and give a hundred percent and she did it and I feel like I've learned from the best and I don't really know how to come and do the show not full out it feels weird I've never tried it so I don't really know how it feels but I just know that when I go to a show I remember seeing In the Heights like three years ago and and being so incredibly excited about what was on that stage absolutely and then I literally turned to either Cleve or my daughter and said I forget sometimes that I get to do that like people are in the audience watching me and Chicago and being just as thrilled about what they're seeing and I just I don't know I never take it for granted it can end like this you know I God forbid would I could have an injury or whatever and I have to stop this body has been amazing for me and it continues to allow me to do what I'd love to do um, you know I have often said that my plan is to do 20 years and then I would have a huge fishnet burning party yes. um, ceremonial <laughs> and never put on the fishnets again and um, but I love it and and again thank you so much for saying that people see the show and they notice me and um, I mean, I'm really proud of that. I really, and you know, we all read the chat boards and everybody is like, oh, Chicago needs to clean house and all that stuff. And I'm like, why? I feel like I'm giving 100% and I'm getting my laughs in my monologue. <laughs> you know, it's like, if they're happy with me and I'm happy to be here, why would anybody want to take that away from anybody? You know? Right. And you're not, I mean, you're not marking it. No. And I don't think the chat rooms are talking about you. 
I hope yeah. not. Yeah. I hope not. So speaking of understudying, um, Cleve and I met at Annie Get Your Gun, and uh, <laughs> we both understudied Charlie. And I haven't got to talk to many people about this. One of my favorite moments in my whole career mm -hmm. is going on for Charlie and singing No Business Like Show Business right to Annie Oakley. Yeah. Um, Pretty cool, huh? Very cool. So how is it, like, <laughs> I, I, how is it doing that for you? Like, because you realize that's uh, Bernard Peters or uh, Reba McIntyre. Yeah. Yeah. No, wonderful. Oh, my God. You know, you know, and you know when you're doing it. You know at the moment that you're doing it that this is magic. You're having a magic moment. Just one of those magic moments in your life. And you're thinking to yourself, I want to remember this. I want to stay here. I don't Absolutely. want this to end. You know? And, uh, yeah, you just, those, those are the reasons that we live to do this. But I think that also comes with <clears throat> age and wisdom. I think when you start off in this business, sometimes... Um, if, if, it, if it's an easy start, there's almost a sense of entitlement that mm. happens. Yes. And yes. Not with everybody, but I think that the older you are in this business and the more experiences you have, then you really know, I need to cherish this. I need to remember this so I can pass it on or, or tell this story the way it touched me, you know? So uh, I'm just so thrilled that we both have had pretty amazing Absolutely, careers. and I can say that I felt that you're absolutely right. And as I've grown in my career, like the last show that I did, How to Succeed in Business, you know, um, I, when I would go on in my understudies and I'm opposite uh, Daniel Radcliffe and John Larroquette and I'm doing these things and I'm getting these laughs, I'm like, oh my God, this is so freaking cool. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Get the, you know. You feel, and there's a there's a rush. There's a rush of momentary power. You know, you you've got this moment, and all these thousands of people are staring at you. Oh, it's like a drug. And oh, it's definitely a drug. The people that are in this business know exactly what it is. You know, it's it's you get that one laugh, and it's it's a drug, and you get the Absolutely. second laugh, and yeah. you're like, oh my god, why would you want to do anything else? Absolutely, oh, I yeah. completely agree. And the both of you have done uh, principles on, uh, on and off Broadway, and then you've been understudies. Yeah. And how is that always being like the understudy? And when are you going to get your get? To, why don't they ever just give you Velma? Or why don't you know get yeah. these rules that yeah. they're like? Oh, but yeah. you're more valuable to us in the ensemble as the cover. I mean, that's so frustrating because that's not talent. That's just security blanket for them. Yeah. yeah, it's hard and it's frustrating at times. I've had to watch people uh, come and do Velma that I know like. Not that I'm better, but I, I you hear the response of the audience and you just go, oh. Or if I could just have 10 minutes with them and just say, you need to do this or hold this. Yes. And, you know, put together this. Yes. And and that's another, I'm so glad you brought that up because people are like, how have you been able to stay with Chicago so long? The thing is, before I got to Chicago, um, I had two original Broadway shows. I, I've been on two original cast recordings. I've gotten to work with Marvin Hamlish and Harold Prince and because of Harold Prince, because of Merrily Closing, I had the opportunity to literally understudy Ava Perone at the age of 19. Mm. And then was able to move up to the alternate when I was 20. And I had no right playing that role. But, you know, the only thing that I really want to do before I say goodbye to this, you know, business is I want to be Mama Rose and Gypsy. And I want Cleveland Asbury mm -hmm. to be Herbie. Oh. Yeah, so be whoever's listening to this and if you want to produce it, like in <laughs> yes. about five, ten years, yes. we're, we're ready. Here and waiting. Actually, my daughter is studying to be a director, so we've often joked that, you know, she would she love could, to boss yes. us around and direct the, oh, the production. But literally, it's not like I'm yearning to do something. I've, if I had to leave tomorrow... I could walk away and be so proud of what I've accomplished, you know? It's it's fulfilling. And I also think, too, that if I weren't as happy in my personal life, things that normally would be frustrating in my career would be more frustrating. But I love going home to him, and I love being Jacqueline's mom. That's the most important thing. Everything else is, is really just... just you know, cream, whipped cream. Well, that's great because this business can drive you crazy. So if you have oh a, my god, that's the key to have a healthy personal You've life. You've got to have a life outside the theater. Yeah, I think, or you'll go crazy. Yep, you go wacky. No, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> so with how to succeed, and this is something you and I should talk about coffee someday. The the transition from being like quote unquote chorus boy into being accepting that fact you're older and you're a character yeah. actor, yeah. and not and being graceful in accepting that, but yeah. also I think it's great. How has that transition been for you? Um, it's, you know what, it's been a gradual event. 
Um, I've been very blessed to, I've been very blessed to have been able to dance for as long, as many years as I have. And, uh, you know, I'll also knock on wood, no major injuries that have taken me out of commission. So I've been able to do this. Um, and I have to interject, he was 52 years old, 53 years old, doing Rob Ashford choreography. Like, some men were standing on the <laughs> sidelines, and I remember seeing the show and watching Cleve go down to the floor and up, and I was just thinking, please don't make him die during the show. <laughs> please don't make this be the last thing he does. And I was just so incredibly proud of him. I am now that age doing Chicago that he was doing that choreography so I know exactly how hard it is and oh. I know how you have to take care of your body yeah. so but you know so as a result uh, because I've had such a long blessed career so many people have seen me dancing and so getting that transition into character man has been more difficult than it might otherwise be because everyone keeps seeing me as that dancer and they go oh but we can have a dance over here and oh that, right you know um, but uh, it's happening more and more. You know, the more lines I'm getting on my face, the more I'm see <laughs> being seen for the older character guys. And that's great because you know what? They don't have to work nearly as hard yeah, nearly as the dancers as have to work. No. <laughs> uh, so uh, I I'm enjoying it. I'm actually really enjoying the transition. Well, I skipped one show uh, that I want to talk about. It's A Dancer's Life. Uh, yes. With Cheetah Rivera, she's yes. actually one of the inspirations for this. I had a conversation with her, and she was talking about how every person should go through the chorus, yes. because it just teaches you discipline and teaches you uh, a good worth et ethic. Yes. Uh, how was doing that show? Just and working with her, you also heard the dance captain. Uh, yes, and uh, I loved it. Uh, I, I loved her. I love Cheetah. Who doesn't love Cheetah? Uh. <laughs> Seriously. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and the work was so wonderful, and the director was Graciela Danielle who also did Any Get Your Gun, right? Yes. So you, you're aware of how wonderful she is, too, and it was great. And I wish it had had a longer run than it did. Unfortunately, we we didn't run very long, only ran, I don't know, maybe a month. Um, but I loved it, um, you know. I never gave Cheetah any notes. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't dare. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, no, it, it was a great time. It was just all too brief. And, oh. and they, everybody in the cast was terrific, so professional. And you went out of town, too. You went to San Diego with it first. We did. We started it in San Diego, and uh, then uh, we mounted it up, and everybody was happy with it, and we came straight in with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, I've seen it on DVD, but I haven't. And I loved it also because we were getting these stories, stories and... Uh, pictures, videos that I had never seen of Cheetah's early, early days. Uh, you know, back when she was working with Jack Cole, training with Jack Cole, her earliest days. So many stories that I hadn't heard of. So that was really terrific. It was uh -huh. also great to bring our daughter, who was, I don't know, 10, 12 at the time, yeah. who didn't really know much of Cheetah, and to watch her watch what was going on on stage and be really, really impressed. At 12 years old, you know, oh, like, wow, absolutely. she did that, she did that, she did that. So it was really, it was a great night. Now, with the normal Broadway schedule and also having a daughter, I mean, there's stuff that you just miss. I mean, how, I mean, do you yeah. call out for, for her prom? Do you call out for, I mean, how does that work <laughs> when it comes to that type of thing? Hoping stage management doesn't listen to this. Um, <laughs> you know, here's the deal. Um, you put in for personal days and sometimes you call in sick because I just felt it was really important for her to always remember that mommy was there. You know, I went through a tremendous amount of guilt because I was not the one putting her to bed. But then I was so grateful that most of the time it was Cleve unless he was working. You know, I never had that kind of quality time with my dad. He was always working. And yet I feel like the bond that she and Cleve have um, Will hopefully set her up for many happy, um, you know, relationships with other men that may come in her life because she's got such a great example. You Absolutely. Know? Um, and then Chicago had a really, we have a weird schedule where we have Wednesdays off, and all through her elementary school, all of the home and school meetings were on Wednesday nights. So I was able to, like, everybody was bitching, oh, five-year weekend and this and that. I was like, oh, I'm so glad I have a Wednesday off. Because <laughs> I would go to these meetings and feel very much a part of it. And then, you know, elementary, most of the plays and stuff are during the day. So 
we were able to make it work and she is really kind of an amazing kid and yeah. still likes us. I mean, she loves us, but she still likes us, you That's know. That's great. And because of this career, you know, we had Daniel Radcliffe over our house for Christmas Eve. I know. What? Super, yeah. super cool. <laughs> we had an orphan Christmas Eve because our California family could not come and we were like we're not going to be depressed, we're not going to be sad. So he literally was doing how to succeed. I was still doing I'm still doing Chicago. Anybody that <clears throat> didn't have a family to go home to, we invited to our house. Literally, Jacqueline, off the cuff, says, why, you should invite Dan. And Cleve was yeah. like, I will. Dan was like, oh my God, I think it sounds amazing. I went up to him <laughs> thinking, sure, this is Daniel Radcliffe, surely he has got something else some to do. amazing plans for Christmas Eve. And I, and I told him about the party, I said, we'd love to have you. And he looked at me and he goes, sounds perfect. And oh my God! So we're very much on the down low. He had to release his his bodyguard because we didn't want he didn't want the bodyguard coming around our house, which I was happy for because that would have been a little a little awkward. Um, <clears throat> so released the bodyguard, then uh, he gave me his address, and I drove down and picked him up, and him and his girlfriend, and mm -hmm. drove him out to the house, and we had just just lovely evening. Oh, it was tremendous. Oh, that is fantastic. I had a cookie-making party, and Daniel Radcliffe was right in my kitchen making cookies. I mean, I've got video, you He's know. He's just the coolest young man. And for I, I our just daughter, oh. for our daughter who thought she was going to marry Harry Potter at one point. You oh, know? absolutely. And he couldn't have been lovelier to her, and every time she's gone to see him in whatever play he may be in... Uh, she goes backstage and he's like, we're just going to have pictures together with you getting bigger and bigger. And, you know, <laughs> just over <laughs> oh, and over. Oh, so great. Me looking the same and, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, with as, as much um, as a downfall as the schedule is and the, the you know, um, complications, that's not really not the right word, but the, oh, I hate this. This is party getting old. Um, <laughs> well, as far as, for all the, for all the, the obstacles, obstacles of this and downsides of, of the business and the schedule, there are paybacks in other forms. Or payoffs. Or payoffs. Yes. Yes. In other forms. And She's gotten uh, to meet some amazing people that, you know, I think will, if she decides to continue this directing track that she's on, um, she'll have a lot of great experience to pull from. Oh, and, absolutely. You know. It's it's kind of an incredible life to be a part of. Every time she comes to the theater, she feels so loved and um, just happy because they're like, Jacqueline, you look so great, and oh my God, your mom talks about you all the time. <laughs> she feels like the mayor of Chicago when she comes backstage. Oh, you know? well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, how is it body image-wise for just for women have it much harder than men? Yeah. You oh. know, um, and you know, how do you maintain this after a baby and then at? You yeah. Know, I mean, what you said you were. Over fifty? Is that what he's actually I'm said? I'm fifty-three years old. The New York Post, you know, posted it like two years ago, so everybody knows my age if they Google me. Um, yeah, you know, and, and and again, it's with the age, it gets harder. You know, it's. Um, but I've just learned to. We try and eat well, and we go to the gym, and you know, when you're. You're religious when, about the gym. When your yeah, job gym. is wearing a vinyl bra and a fishnet bodysuit, you really have no choice. You know, I've often said that. When I leave Chicago, you know, I'm going to, like, gain the five pounds that my body longs to be. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the thing is about doing the show this long, there's really not an aerobic challenge anymore, you know, so I have to do something else. I come from a big Italian family and, and fighting those big Italian genes, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, so I don't eat a lot of carbs, and I try not to drink too much and, and, and take good care of myself you know i keep trying to get that because i see character guys <laughs> yes that are much bigger than myself and that was like getting all these jobs and i'm thinking yes I'm, honey i need to gain she, <laughs> i'll have none of, none of it so, none of it none of it well, one question i ask a lot of male dancers is how was it being a dancer when you're a young boy and being were you teased were you made fun of or were you insulated in your families oh, yes constantly i mean uh, you know Again, remember, I grew up in Houston, Texas, where, you know, if you weren't working with cows or playing football, there was something funny about you. So, yeah, I had a hard time. Uh, I, I really, as much as I could, kept it to myself. There was, there was my school and my school friends, and then there was the dancing school and the dancing school friends. 
and I've tried to keep those two worlds as much apart as I possibly could, but you know, that only went so far. I really, I was looked at oddly for a long, long time yeah. growing yeah. up. Both and, of us um, talk about how our senior year in high school was the best because we both starred in our senior musicals. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden, you know, a football player asked me out or he was more popular. You know, it's funny yeah. that when it's, but that was what we did. You know, and all of a sudden we were accepted right. because of what we did that we tried to hide. Like I yeah. literally tried to hide it in high school. I didn't want anybody to know that I was going on auditions or any of that stuff because kids are mean. Oh, Absolutely. kids are totally mean. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. And I bet you were called gay all the time. Um, it was it was not outright not so much. It was just they were looking for signs of it. They mm. were looking, always looking for signs of it. Um and uh, it was mostly how weird I was looked. <laughs> <laughs> He's just weird. He's not one of us. So, uh, you know, I ended up, because I play the drums, I got into the stage band in school. They became my friends. The musicians were much easier about it uh, than, you know, the jocks and the, that whole world. Oh, they, absolutely. They, they were a horror. So <clears throat> I stayed over in the music land. And then, yes, my senior year in high school, I was Sky Masterson, a production of, uh, of um, Guys, and Guys and Dolls. And so, you know, suddenly the, the, show, the school saw me and they're like, oh, well, that's kind of cool. Yes. And suddenly I had girls coming around to me and talking to me. And Very Suddenly nice. I had an acceptance, a social acceptance that I didn't have. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, it's, it's not too far from half hour, but so are there, if, if you had to talk about moments that I didn't touch base that were just magical, Oh gosh. what would it be? I mean, you talk about the Tony Awards or um, TV specials, or it doesn't even have to be, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the highlights of, of my time here in Chicago, I, I remember seeing the original Broadway cast of Dreamgirls. And I think it was after Jennifer had won, Jennifer Holliday had won the uh, Tony Award. And literally, you know, she could have come on that stage and burped and they would have, the audience would have screamed and cheered. And when Chicago said that she was going to be Mama Morton, I literally, like, I could have peed in my pants thinking that, <laughs> oh my God, because she was, I always wanted to be, in my mind, I'm a big black woman, you know, with a, with a voice. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to be her, and the fact that I got to do Thelma with her oh, wow. and singing class with her, I literally, it will always continue to be one of the highlights of, of Chicago, uh, that uh, my memories here. Just tremendous. Oh, absolutely. Tremendous, yeah. But I mean, you know, just the show in general, I've gotten to meet so many incredible people that I would have never crossed paths with except for the show. You know, it's it's a, it's an interesting. The Weislers have really, really zeroed in on. You know, you can call it stunt casting, but nine times out of ten, they hit the mark. Right. And these people come in the show, and they can do it, and they do it well. You know, and uh, so I'm I'm really really happy for that. Well, it's funny when people talk about stunt casting. They people aren't realizing that. The ushers, the bartender, how many people are staying employed by a stunt casting? Yes, you know, with every mm -hmm. new person that comes into Chicago, you know, we have a segment on the Today Show or Good Morning America yeah. or, you know, as much as you wish that Today Show would want to interview Donna Marie Asbury, they don't because Middle America doesn't know who Donna Marie Asbury is. Yeah. So when Brandy Norwood comes in, who absolutely kicked ass as Roxy Hart, it's it puts Chicago you start talking about it again and a show needs that after 19 years you know we're yes. starting our 20 20th year that's unbelievable i don't think there's anything to be ashamed of that the show is running this long no not at all yeah it's extraordinary I, yeah i know when Cheryl Ladd came into annie get your gun a lot of people i thought she was a great actress mm -hmm. but she kept it open for reba to come in and mm -hmm. it was a, uh, you know some and it was great you know but people i mean it's so funny that people don't understand how many people are employed yeah, by absolutely. having someone come in. Absolutely. You know, and how about you, if you had a... Oh my gosh. Well, you know what, I'll tell one more Daniel Radcliffe story. Because oh yes. He, um, <clears throat> you know, the How to Succeed run 
also was along the same time as the last Harry Potter movie came out. And Dan arranged for a private showing of the movie just for us a full month before it opened worldwide. And he had arranged it at this private screening room and we all went over after a, ma a Sunday matinee and uh, there was food all laid out and everything. And it was just this incredibly special, incredibly private party. And Cleve got to bring Jacqueline. And I got oh. to bring Jack, so yes, she was part of it. And uh, it was just like, oh my God, we're in on this incredible experience happening. And, uh, you know, he was so charming and uh, was just so thrilled to have us all there. And Oh, that is so great. You know, to to see this movie that is this incredible worldwide blockbuster. We're getting it a full month before everybody else. With the star of it. With, With the, the star, star of it. Pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't, like, he, yeah, didn't he come on the screen and said one line and he, he said something like, that's my best line. Yes, that's my best line. <laughs> Like he just doesn't take himself too seriously, which oh. is pretty amazing. Which and I love that he's come back to Broadway three oh, times. And yeah. yeah, 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 and just and did it so things. well. Oh, so charming. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Uh, I end every episode with a um, with a song from one of your careers, so we can end it with two songs if we'd like, ah! or, or if like maybe you guys we, will synchronize. We talked about it, and yeah. um, I, I we thought of you know from Jerome Robbins Broadway tonight. tonight. Oh, from West Side Story. That sounds perfect. Because it's not a downer, and it's just mm -hmm. it's a song of hope and mm -hmm. and kind of you know, lovey dovey, all that yeah. stuff. I love it. Okay, I cool. love it. Thank you guys so Thank much. Thank you for you having us. Have a great show, and uh, we'll have to talk about being a character. In my eyes, in my words, and in everything I do. And there's nothing for me but Maria. Every sight that I see is Maria. Tony, Tony. Always you, every thought I'll ever know. Everywhere I go, you'll be. I love you. 